0: What's up, Reckless? How you guys doing? Oh, that was that was sort of pathetic. You guys doing all right tonight? Am I good? There we go. There we go. That's kind of what I was looking for at first. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, tonight. First of all, it's great to see you. Hope you guys are doing well. See some new faces in the room, which is awesome. So, uh, welcome to Reckless. And uh, great worship tonight. Let's give the band a hand. Old old Stevie Veal up on stage, showing off his skills, yeah. So tonight is a sad, sad night. Tonight, we finish our YOLO series. I can see the devastation on your face. I know you guys are just heartbroken that we don't have to talk about YOLO anymore. Now, in all seriousness, we've kind of been over the last few weeks been, been poking fun at this YOLO thing and, and what causes people to do stupid things that they do and, uh, and all that stuff. So we've been having fun. But I hope, here's my, here's my hope in the midst of all of kind of the, the jabbing at it and making fun of it, is that you guys really understand what really it's all about. And that in the midst of, of kind of all the craziness that you, you get what we're trying to get, give you. And that's that, man, the, the truth is we get a chance to embrace, all of us get a chance to embrace God's amazing calling on our lives. Because we really only do get one shot. And so either we take it and we make the most of it or we squander it and we, we use it for selfish gain or for other reasons. But hopefully at the end of the day, you guys, as we finish up this series, have, have kind of grabbed a hold of And said, man, this is, how incredible is it that God has called me to accomplish his purposes? How incredible is it that I get to partner with God, that I get to be a part of of living out God's calling that he's given to me? And so that's kind of what we've we've been all about. Now, we had a verse, or we have a verse, that um, not only has been our verse for this series, but it's also our verse for the whole year. So even though YOLO, you can kiss that goodbye after tonight... Um, this verse is going to stick with us all year. It's going to be our verse for the whole, the whole year. So without throwing it up on the screens or looking at your Bibles or notes, who can stand up and quote the verse? Somebody raise your hand. I want to see if somebody knows what the verse says without cheating and looking at your notes and memorizing it. And I've actually got a, I've got a present for whoever can do it. So this is worth, this is worth it. Anybody? Can anybody give it to me? Everybody's looking at your notes, trying to memorize it like you're cramming for a test. This is pathetic. All right. Well, just so you know, I had a You Only Live Once slap bracelet to give away tonight from Route 21. And nobody's going home with it, so I guess I am. How cool am I? All right, well, next week, all right, here's the, th- here's the deal. This is not a verse for me just to, to ramble to you every single week and say, hey, this is a cool verse, but for all of us to memorize it, kind of keep it in our brains and our hearts and, and live it out. So you don't have it memorized tonight, maybe you'll have another chance next week And um, maybe we'll have something cooler than a slap bracelet to give to you. So, now last week, Zach Morgan was here and did a great job of talking about our call to holiness. And how we look to Jesus and we pursue Jesus. And Jesus is the one, as we look to him, as we give him our lives, Jesus is the one that makes us more like him. It's not something we do by ourselves. It's something as we focus on the cross, as we focus on Christ, God takes our life and he makes us more like him. So that's what we did last week. Uh, tonight, as we finish up the series, we're looking at the end of chapter 4 in Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Ephesians 4, and we're going to start in verse 30. And I really believe that there's some, some powerful things that God wants to say to all of us tonight. And so let's stay focused, stay locked in, and just be open to what God may want to say to us tonight, all right? So Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 30. And here we go. Says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So Paul starts out here and he says, do he. He says, do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. All right, maybe some of your versions in, in your Bible say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we look at the Holy Spirit as kind of this mystical kind of force that's out there and he's sort of floating and he's almost like a ghost and he's in our lives, but he's kind of around, you know, just in some kind of strange mystical way. And I think sometimes we view him as very impersonal because of that. But then Paul gives us, This example and he says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. See, what Paul is actually saying here is the way that we live our life and the truth about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is not some mystical impersonal force, but rather a person who feels and a person who is invested in the details of our lives. That the Holy Spirit is such in our lives that he cares whether or not we're living out the calling and the mission that God has given us. That the Holy Spirit is not distant and kind of out there, but for those of us that belong to Christ, if we've trusted Christ as Savior, he lives inside of us. And as he lives inside of us, he cares about the decisions that we make. And when we don't live in accordance to the way that God calls us to live, we bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit actually feels remorse and sorrow and grieves when we don't live in accordance to the way that God's called us to live. So what exactly is it that that brings sorrow to the spirit? It is those things that cause us to live differently than the way God wants us to live. It's those things that pull us away from the calling that God's given us. It's those things that God sent his son to die in order to free us from. That all of those things in our life, that the Holy Spirit grieves when those things exist in our life. And Paul gives a couple of them before these verses. He gives a couple of them. Um, in verse 31 and 32, and he, and he uses here are some of the things that he mentions lustful pleasure, impurity, lies, anger, stealing, bitterness, etc., etc. Now, if you look at that list of things, these are things that, that all of us could probably pick out at least two or three things that we struggle with on a daily basis, or maybe every so often. I mean, even for those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus, these are things that they're tough to shake. I mean, it's tough to shake anger. It's tough to shake lustful pleasure. It's tough to shake bitterness. There are these things in our life that it is difficult for us to be completely rid of. And yet I think it's important for us to understand that when those things exist in our life, there is the Holy Spirit in us that grieves and is sorrowful when those things exist in our life. That down to the daily decisions that we make, Some of those things that we feel like are inconsequential, those things that we feel like, you know what, who's really gonna care? Who's really gonna see this? Does it really matter if I look at this? Man, does it really matter if I get angry at this person after the way that they treated me? There are all those things every single day where we go, man, does it really matter at the end of the day if this one little thing is in my life? And what Paul is saying here is, even in the little things, even when those areas Of sin are in our life, if they exist, if they permeate through our life, then the Holy Spirit is sorrowful because of that. And not in such a way that it bums us out, like, oh man, we're horrible people, but that we start caring about even the little decisions that we make on a daily basis because it matters. It's not something we go, oh, you know what, God will forgive me anyway. We've got to understand, man, those things pull us away from the life that God has for us, and they grieve and they bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit of God. So we should take them seriously as well. Now, what makes the Holy Spirit so important? I really believe that the Holy Spirit is one of the most misunderstood, forgotten, and ignored aspects of the Christian life. If you guys were at Rush, we talked about that, about the the power of the Holy Spirit in terms of us living clean the way that God's called us to live. I mean, we've talked about the Holy Spirit in, in here before. And I really feel like a lot of times we just kind of gloss over it. You know, we care about God the Father. We care about Jesus. But then the Holy Spirit's kind of like this other thing that's out there. And we don't really understand what the the importance is to our everyday life. And there's so so many incredible benefits that the Holy Spirit plays for our lives on a daily basis. But I think something that Paul points out here, and the reason that he gives is in verse 30. Look at verse 30 and what he says. He says, remember, he, being God, has identified you as his own. Remember, he, God, has identified you as his own. All right? And this is kind of where we're going to park tonight. This is what we're going to focus in and kind of dial in on. So if you guys have your notes, this is the first calling or the calling that we're going to talk about tonight. And that's God's possession all right. Therefore, he has identified you as, as his own, that we are God's possession. The Holy Spirit is given to you and me as followers of Jesus for many reasons. But one of the things that's so incredible, at, um, incredible about the Holy Spirit is it's a reminder that your life is not yours. It's a reminder to you and me, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, that we belong to God. The Holy Spirit is in our life to to lead us where we ought to go and to steer us away from the things that pull us away from the life that God has for us. And it is a daily reminder that, hey, don't forget, you gave your life to me. You received the forgiveness that I offered. Your life is now mine. We are God's possession. Now, when you you think of the word possession, all right, and it can sometimes have sort of a negative meaning. Maybe some of us think slavery when we think of possession. Maybe we kind of, our mind goes there. Maybe we think of some like evil dictator that's, you know, ruling and reigning over everybody. Maybe, maybe some of you think of the possessive ex-boyfriend who, you know, made you do all these crazy things just for, for his own selfish gain. I mean, maybe, you know, you girls in the room have had a possessive ex-boyfriend and you know what, what craziness that, that leads to. Maybe, maybe in some form or fashion, when we think of possession, our mind goes to different things, and, and maybe potentially negative things. But I don't want you guys to think about those kind of things as it pertains to us being God's possession. All right? Don't think of us being God's possession as God being some evil dictator that's out to you know, destroy our life and rule over us and all this kind of stuff. Don't think of, you know, kind of a a possessive ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or any of that craziness. All right, don't think of those kind of negative things. Don't allow your mind to go there because being God's possession is not like that. What I want to be able to do is give you a couple of verses that really kind of dial in on what this actually looks like. What does it mean to really be God's possession? The first is Isaiah 43, 1. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. He says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I, God, have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now, that verse does not illustrate an evil dictator, but rather a God who created us, who loved us, who formed us in his own image. And rather than leaving us into our life of sin, rather than leaving us to destroy our lives and to, to go, continue down this road towards hell and destruction, God stepped in in the form of Jesus and he ransomed us. He freed us. He brought us out of darkness and into light. That he went to great lengths to call us, to save, not only to save us, but to call us his own. That he calls us by name and he says, you are mine. Man, I'm not content just to let you wallow in your own sin. I'm not content just to watch as you throw your life down the toilet. I'm going to step into your life and I'm going to do something about it because I've created you in my own image. And I love you and I'm passionate about you. And now I'm going to call you by name and free you from, from slavery and out of this life of sin. That's the picture of now us being God's possession. Here's the other one that I think gives a, a, a little bit of a, a different perspective and a cool perspective on it. It's 1 John 3 verse 1. The Apostle John says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. Now think about this, once you and I give our lives to Jesus, we are now sons and daughters of God. All right, think about that for a minute. You and I, as followers of Jesus, if we claim to have received salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, you and I are, are children of God. We are children of the creator. That God calls us his children. We have access to God the Father at any time, any time that we need him. We have free access to God. That he takes on the role of a caring father who loves us and who provides for us. Now maybe the thought of a child of God doesn't seem like too much for some of you. Maybe there's some of you guys in the room that when you think of a father, when you think of being a child, you relate it to maybe there's dysfunction or unhealth in your own family. Maybe you think about the war zone that is your home every single day. Maybe you think of that distant or absent father or mother. Maybe for some of you guys, and I think there there are a lot in here tonight, that are from a broken home situation. Maybe dad's not around. Maybe there are times for whatever reason you feel like dad doesn't give a rip about you. Maybe you don't have a great relationship with your earthly father. And so you think about you being a child of God as not really that big of a deal or not something that's all that enticing to you. And I know what it feels like to be a child of my own father, and it sucks sometimes. Maybe that's how some of you guys feel. And none of us in this room have a, health, have a perfect relationship with our earthly father. None of us do. But I think the danger sometimes for us is that we take our experience of our earthly father and we then translate that to our relationship with God. And we feel like, well, man, my dad doesn't give a rip about me or my dad doesn't care about me or my dad's not around or my dad, whatever, fill in the blank. So therefore, because of that, man, God's got to be the same way. And me thinking about being a child of God and God being my father and all that kind of stuff just seems like a barrier that, that just keeps me from really experiencing what that could potentially be like. Because every time I think of father, I think of my dad, and that doesn't, that doesn't ring true to me. That's not something that's very encouraging. Whatever your experience in the, at the moment may be in your house, with your own earthly father. My challenge to you as we're talking about this section is not to think about your own father and his faults and his mistakes and all of that kind of stuff because every dad has them, some to different degrees than others. But rather than you automatically assuming that that's who God the Father is to you, I want you, I want to try to paint a little bit of a different picture for you. Rather than... than looking at that and envisioning that, I want you to envision this. I want you to imagine a perfect, healthy, loving relationship with your father who is never absent, who never falls short, who never makes a mistake, who never says one thing and then does another. I want you to imagine a father who shows complete, unconditional love to you. There are no parameters. There are no restrictions. There's nothing you have to earn or strive to receive. There's nothing that you have to do in your own strength. It's it's freely given to you. It's unconditional. There is support for you, a heavenly father, a father that provides for you, a father that wants what's best for you, and a father that would even go to, to the extent of dying for you. I want you to picture that image in your head. Because the truth is, that is the clear 100% picture of God the Father to us. That is the picture of what it means for you and I to be sons and daughters of God. There is perfection. There is unconditional love. There is access to him. We don't have to worry about whether or not he's trustworthy or not. We don't have to worry about whether or not he's going to say one thing and then do another or whether one day he's just going to up and leave or whether he's going to stop caring about us or doing what's best for us. I want you guys to get the clear picture of what it means when John says, See how very much our Father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. That is what it looks like to be God's possession and to be a child of God is access to him, unconditional love. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to strive for it. There's nothing we have to do. There's nothing we can do for him to turn away from us that God loves us with a perfect, unending love that can never cease. And for you and I as followers of Jesus, we have access to that every single day. Now, being God's possession also has implications for how we view sin, all right? There's a couple, couple of blanks here that we're gonna to get to in your notes. Because we take on God's identity, all right? We're now God's possession. We take on God's identity. We now view sin as God does, all right? We view sin the same way God does. So the first blank here is as God's possession, we are sworn enemies of sin. We are sworn enemies of sin, Here's the truth for us tonight. We will never overcome sin until we learn to hate sin. I think sometimes there are many of us who, man, we love God, but then we love our sin too. And we feel like it's cool for us to kind of play in both sandboxes. And it's not that big of a deal and we can love God, but then we can still love our sin and have our fun. And we feel like that that's okay. But the truth is, in terms of us being God's possession, we are, you and I are to hate sin because that's not who we, who we are anymore. That actually typifies and characteristic, is characteristics of the old life that we used to be. But then Jesus came in and he gave his life for us. And because of the cross, we have now been brought into a new life. And we have a new identity and we're no longer who we used to be. And now we're somebody that we've never been before. And because of that, what that means is we've got to hate that old life. We've got to hate that sin. We've got to hate all of that crap that tries to pull us into that old life and into that world. And it's not all right for us just to kind of dance back and forth between the old life and the new life. The old life and the new life. And Paul even says, look, should I continue to sin just so that grace may abound?" It's like, no, we've died to that old life. That life is no longer who we are. So why do we keep running back to it? Why do we keep going back to that same sin over and over and over again? And then in our own mind, try to justify and go, you know what, man, it's cool. God forgives me. It's not that big of a deal. And we feel like it's all right for us to, to kind of dance in both worlds. But the truth is we've got to hate sin. We've got to hate that old life and want nothing to do with it. Now all of a sudden we're new in Christ and we want this new life. We want to be like Christ. And we push for that and we strive for that. And when we fall short, when we make mistakes, it's not like we go, oh, who really cares? Not that big of a deal. We go, man, God, I hate that stuff. I don't want that in my life. God, get rid of this. Gotta confess that to you. I want this out of my life. And we push back in that direction with God's strength. We've got to hate sin more than we desire sin. Our hatred for sin has got to be stronger than our pleasure for sin. And if as long as we don't hate sin and that become part of who we are as God's possession, Then we'll continue to struggle and not live up to this calling that God's given us. Here's the second thing Not only are we sworn enemies of sin, but as God's possession, our future is secure. Our future is secure. One day the pain, the sorrow, the fear, the sin of this world will be gone. And those of us who are God's possession will be freed from that life forever. And we will not have to worry about pain. We don't have to worry about sin. We don't have to worry about this, this sinful nature that tries to pull us away from God. But we will now be like Christ for we will see him as he is. And all of a sudden, as we begin to see God face to face, then his love for us is even more overwhelming and more Unbelievable. And our future is secure because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. That's why Paul says, don't make the spirit sorrowful. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God because part of the reason the Holy Spirit was given to you is as a seal or a a deposit, as a guarantee of your future home. So our future is secure as God's possession. I think when we fully understand this, this whole thing of God's possession, when we think about it that way. When we go back to verse one and say, man, I beg you live a life worthy of the calling you've received for you've been called by God. I think that that gets taken up a notch because now all of a sudden we look at our lives and we go, man, I'm God's possession. I belong to God. And rather than continuing to live the way the world wants to live, rather than mess around with that crap, I get a chance to live up to this calling that God's called me to I'm now God's possession. And all of a sudden, we look forward to that calling that God's God's given us with anticipation, with excitement. Now, I wanna give you a little bit of an example. Maybe a little bit of of an illustration as it comes to God's possession, how a lot of us are. All right, and you, you guys may have seen this in some form or fashion But I I think that all of us are kind of in one or two chairs. All right, not kind of, we are. All right, you and I, all of us in here are in one chair or the other. Now, chair number one, chair number one, hello. Almost died. Chair number one says this. Chair number one says, my life belongs to me. This is my life. And the question that we ask ourselves a lot of times is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna live the way that I wanna live. And the things that I do and the decisions I make are gonna be based on my best interest, selfish gain, power, pleasure, money, whatever. All right, decisions that I make are gonna be dictated by what's in it for me. How is this gonna benefit me? Now, for some of us that sit in this chair, we even could say, man, I love Jesus. I love God. I consider myself a Christian. I consider myself a follower of Jesus. And yet, my willingness to follow has restrictions. My willingness to follow Jesus is going to be dependent on whether or not it's in my best interest. You know what? If, man, God, if that decision pleases me, then yeah, I'll do that. Man, this whole forgiveness thing, man, that that pleases me. Yeah, I'll take that. Man, I I don't want to go to hell. I want to be forgiven. So yeah, I'll take that. You know, we make decisions because that's in our best interest. Man, I like that idea. I like that thought. That sounds good to me. So yeah, I'll take some of that. And yet it becomes a lot more of us dictating to God whether or not we'll follow him or whether or not we'll obey him. Hey God, you want me to do that? Ah, not so much. And this chair makes decisions all of the time based on that idea, my life belongs to me. Now the other chair... this chair right here, chair number two says, my life belongs to God. And the question that I'm going to ask myself is what's in it for him? How can I live my life in such a way that's going to bring the most amount of glory to God? So I don't dictate to God. God dictates to me. God tells me where to go. God tells me what I should do and what should be important and what shouldn't be important. God tells me the decisions that I make. God tells me what's right and what's wrong. God leads me and guides me. And I view my life as an incredible opportunity to fulfill God's purposes. I look at at myself in this chair and say, man, how amazing is it that I get a chance to be part of God's purposes for my life? How amazing is it that God lets me be a part of what he's doing? So God, whatever you want from me, I'll do it. God, wherever you say go, I'll go. God, whatever you want from me, God, I will do it because my life belongs to you. God, I am your possession. I embrace this calling that you've given me. And every single day I'm going to live with purpose and meaning because my life is about something bigger than me. It's about God. Now, all of us in the room are in one of, one of two chairs. And the sad thing for me is I think a lot of us are sitting here. I would say most of us are probably sitting here. And we kind of justify it. Maybe we feel like we bounce back and forth between chairs. Maybe we feel like, ah, you know what? Man, I do love, I, I do love Jesus and I want those things, but man, I, I do sort of hold on to my life which means we're in this chair. You're either in this chair or you're in that chair. You can't straddle the chairs. You can't bounce back and forth. You're either either in one or the other. And I think as long as we sit in this chair and we continue to make our life about us and the decisions that we make, the first question is what's in it for me? then we're really gonna miss out on the life that God's called us to. And it's impossible for you to sit in this chair and to live out the calling that God's given you. Because God's calling that he's given to you requires you to get up out of this chair and to sit in this one. And it's not something that happens lightly. It's not something that you kind of accidentally do it and switch seats. It's something that you intentionally in your mind and in your heart go, God, my life no longer belongs to me. It is no longer about me. God, I don't care about my life anymore. God, I just wanna fulfill the purposes that you have for me. God, my life is about you. Here's the main point for us tonight. And I want you guys to write this down. Embracing the call to make life God's possession means rejecting the desire to make life our possession. My guys, here it is. bottom line. You can't desire to be God's possession and then refuse every single day to make your life about God. You can pay all of the lip service that you want. You can sing all of the worship songs about God. My life is yours. I just want to live for your glory. All of that kind of stuff. You can sing it till you're blue in the face. But it doesn't mean anything unless you start living that way. Unless you make a concerted effort and a conscious decision to go God, I am getting up out of this seat and no longer making my life about you. God, I'm now sitting in this one and making everything about you. It's one or the other. I think there are some of of us in the room that have some difficult decisions to make. In no way am I going to stand up here and try to convince you of something or talk you into something that someone else can talk you out of. But I think there are a lot, of, a lot of us in the room tonight that need to make some very difficult decisions about what our life really is going to be about going forward. Man, I love the fact that you guys come every single week. You, all of you belong here. But I also want you guys to understand the life that God's called you to. And the life that the world has to offer you might seem enticing and it might look fun and it will be enjoyable for a season. But Jesus says it's going to cost you. If you hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you make your life about you, if you sit in the chair that says, what's in it for me? You will hang on to your life, but at the end you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, if you say, God, my life is now your possession, then you will save it, you will find it. We challenge you guys all throughout this series, what specifically is it that God is calling you to do? I think for some of you in the room you know what it is. And yet maybe you've been reluctant to take that step. Maybe you've never fully given control over your life. Maybe you've, maybe you've walked in the room tonight and you've never actually trusted Christ as your savior. Maybe you've never received the forgiveness that he offers and you've been hesitant to because you're nervous about what it's gonna cost you and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just gonna say it's gonna cost you your life. But Jesus says, in the end, you will save it. You will find it. And there's nothing better than you giving full control and full authority over to God. For some of you guys, maybe there's that relationship that you're in that you know dishonors God. Maybe there are people in your school or a person in your school that you feel like God has called you to reach out to. And you've refused because you don't like them very much or because they're not really cool or whatever the reason may be. Maybe there are some of you guys in the room tonight that God is calling you to start a ministry on your school campus or to start some kind of ministry in your neighborhood or in your family. But my challenge for all of us tonight as we get ready to sing, as we go to our groups is, what is it that God is calling you to do? And what chair are you sitting in tonight? Are you sitting in the chair that goes, ah, it's about me? And you, you have a death grip on that chair, you're not ready to, to, to get out of it. And maybe that decision is for you to go, all right, God, I'm gonna start giving you control of my life. Not just parts of it, not just the things that are easy to give up, but God, everything. I am now your possession. I am now your child. And there's nothing better than living out the purposes that you've given me for a God that loved me, that created me in his own image, and that ransomed me and rescued me from this life of sin. What's God calling you to? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us enough not to leave us in our junk, leave us in all of our brokenness and all of our sin. God, thank you that you loved us enough to ransom us, to rescue us from this life of darkness. God, I pray for students in the room tonight, God, who who were in that darkness, who were living in sin, God, who have never taken that step of salvation. God, I pray tonight would be the night that they walk from death to life. God, I pray for students in the room who are sitting in that first chair who are very reluctant to think about the possibilities of not owning their life, of thinking about the cost and what it means to get up from that chair that says it's all about me and I'm gonna do what I wanna do and everything that I think about and the decisions I make are what's in my best interest. God, I pray that they would have the, the boldness and the strength to get up from that chair and start sitting in that second one that says, God, my life is about you. God, I am your possession, whatever you want, no restrictions, no limitations, God, I'll do it. I wanna be who you've called me to be. I wanna fulfill the purposes, I wanna live a life worthy of the calling that you, God Almighty, the creator, have given us. So God, I pray that you would continue to, to work in our hearts and in our lives, and as we go to our groups, God, to continue to think through that and that you would change us. We pray in your name, amen.